Greetings people and welcome to the LPF Pod Lounge! <laughs> wow, just, I, I don't know what's wrong with me, just, anyway. This is a podcast brought to you by myself, Ryan Peters of Living Plant Foods. And uh, I decided to do this to basically share the stories of different people that have transitioned to a plant-based lifestyle. Now, this is a podcast that will hopefully inspire you, the listener, on your journey to well-being. I believe that we are all in this together because we are all connected. We are all learning and growing to evolve to become better and healthier versions of ourselves. These conversations are all organic, all raw, all living and all plant-based. So I hope you enjoy as we share our stories to uplift and push each other forward. Today, people, I have a very, very special guest on the show. I am so excited and I am so stoked (laughs) and so grateful to have him in the pod lounge. He is someone that I have been a fan of and looked up to for many years on my journey. And he is someone I'm so honored to call my teacher, a man who I had the pleasure of training under. He goes by the name of Dr. Aris Latam. So the 2012 second edition of Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America acclaims the raw food movement owes much to Dr. Aris Latam. He is considered to be the father of gourmet ethical raw foods cuisine in the States. Dr. Aris Latam debuted his raw food creations in 1979 when he started Sunfire Foods, a live food company in Harlem, New York. In the years since, he has trained thousands of raw food chefs, including myself, and added innumerable recipes to his repertoire. Over the years, Sunfire Cuisine delicacies have been catered to numerous legendary celebrities and dignitaries such as Dick Gregory, Erica Badu, Rita Marley, Prince, Deepak Chopra and Sidney Poitier to name but a few. Sunfire Foods has also been featured by Black Entertainment Television, The Food Network, CNBC's Alive and Wellness, ABC's Eyewitness News, CBS News and Jamaica's CBM TV to name but a few. First and first and foremost, I just want to say thank you so much for, for taking the time out to um, to have this interview with me. Um, yeah, you're, you're welcome, my brother. I, I really do appreciate it, man. Um, I feel honoured to have you to have you on this on this podcast, um, which I call the Pod Lounge. Um, so yeah, it's it's nice to have you in the Pod Lounge. Um, okay. But yeah, so first and foremost, how are you, and how have you been? Well, I tell you, I am excellent, man. I've I've been fine and, uh, you know, just enjoying a perfect year right now. You know, just loving it. That's good. That's great to hear, man. And um, I would love for you to introduce yourself uh, to the people, to the listeners. Um, who are you and where do you, where do you come from? Where do you reside? Oh, okay. Well, I, uh, wow. <laughs> My name is Aris. Latam. I'm a food scientist uh, in sun-fired cuisine, you know, according to the uh, honor that's been bestowed upon me, an honorary doctorate degree in sun-fired food science for having developed the the whole sun-fired cuisine. And also, uh, I've been acclaimed by the Oxford Encyclopedia of food and drink as the father of ethical gourmet raw food cuisine. 
so it's it's been uh, quite a journey, you know, keeping up with with all of these accolades. But I, I was born in Panama mm-hmm. uh, seventy years ago, wow. and I uh, been traveling around the world. You know, lived in the U.S. for quite some time. Lived in Brazil, in Jamaica, in Tanzania. I'm now residing in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty much, you know, my journey has taken me far and wide. You know, north, south, east, west, Asia, Africa, you know, uh, all of the Americas, parts of Europe. And it continues, you know, just sharing the, uh, the sun-fired cuisine, art, and science. You know, I have a, a master's degree in linguistics. So as a linguist, you know, traveling the world, studying uh, languages and living amongst people, sharing their languages, I got to share their food as well. So Amazing. I've developed, uh, yeah, I've developed quite an, an eclectic brand of what I would say, you know, uh, a world cuisine you know, fusing what I uh, gleaned from growing up in my grandmother's and my mother's kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, being born in Panama, uh, my grandparents were uh, pretty much at the time, you would say, migrant workers <laughs> in the early 1900s when they migrated from Jamaica and Barbados to Panama uh, during the building of the canal, of the Panama Canal. So, you know, I pretty much have been continuing in their footsteps and, uh, you know, enjoying the the legacy of growing up, say, in the the kitchens (laughs) in, in my home and being exposed to just a whole creative, fresh culinary energy, even though at the time, growing up with them, you know, our, our diet was quite uh, what you may call normal, you know, just the standard fare. Yeah. But the, the big difference was, you know, everything was fresh. And especially when I was born in 47, growing up in those times, you know, it was quite limited in the terms of the, uh, the technology that we had, especially in our position as, you know, migrant workers you know yeah yeah uh talking about the age of the ice box you know yeah uh the the cold pot you know then we moved on to the kerosene stove and those types of things so our cooking was still even quite limited and again anything we we had was you know fresh harvest fresh fruits fresh vegetables fresh fish you know we we had our own chicken coop will, you know, slaughter the chicken that morning, you know, and have it ready for Sunday dinner. You know, uh, if we ate pork, it was fresh sliced, you know, fresh caught fish. So, you know, taking that legacy and bringing it up to date, you know, in my era and growing up in New York City on the college campus in the 60s, well, you know, it's all been history since then, you know, since the days of the hippies, you know, the uh, Vietnam War, anti-war movement and the black power movement. Mm-hmm. It was all about self-defense based on, you know, the revolution, <laughs> you know, 
So it, it was quite uncool for for people like myself on the college campus in those days to be uh, to be caught, eat, you know, eating some hot dogs and hamburgers, you know, because as far as we were concerned, again, you know, it's a revolution. There's a war out there, right, you right. know, and uh, I'm not going to the war and be a casualty and get killed trying to, you know, protect somebody somebody's rice fields in Vietnam. You know, so uh, so why should I be eating rice, <laughs> yeah. you know, that I know that is contaminated? You know, uh, why should I be eating chicken and fish and, you know, steak and all of these things, knowing that, you know, there's a there's a revolution going on. You know, here we are in the 60s taking over college campuses, sitting in in the president's office, you know, with, with big, big guns, you know. So hey, you know, how, how you gonna do? How how you gonna come off eating that hamburger, and sneezing? And we here supposed to be trying to hold the peace, hold the quiet, meditate, and holding the fort down, you know, so we can get you know our systems right. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't about you know ingesting food as a weapon, <laughs> you know. So this is where the consciousness got rooted, and it was all about back to the land, you know, in the hood. Uh, cooperative economics, you know, having our own co-ops and things like that, vegetarian 101, ghetto style. Right. And, right. you know, uh, moving with the hippies, you know, back to the land, you know, organic, throw your shoes away, sandals, right. you know, grow your hair, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, counterculture. So revolution going on. So, Anyway, as we said back then, and we still say it even up to today, you know, a luta continua. Wow. The struggle continues. Okay. So we've just, you know, I've just taken the whole revolutionary zeal and, you know, locked it, you know, tight for basically the past 50 years. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I'm still a rebel. You know, it's not about animal rights. It's not about saving the environment. It's not about spirituality. It's about consciousness. It's about self-defense. It's about not killing myself. It's about not getting sick, you know. And, hey, as I said, the rest has been history, my brother. Wow, that's an amazing, that's an amazing story. Um, and that actually leads into a couple of my other questions as well. So, like, so, so, so when did you decide to transition to plant-based? I know you said that was in, in the 60s, but when did you consciously decide you know what this is what i'm going to do and um when you did decide um what was it for like what was the reasons for like was it i know you probably just kind of answered that question anyway but was it for health was it for the animals environmental or was it literally just you know because it was a conscious thing it was absolutely a conscious thing you know it's about you know being a college student Mm -hmm. you know when I went into to college in 67, you know, it took me about a year to, to, to get with the hipness, you right, know, right, to get right. hip, yeah, yeah, to get yeah. with the movement. So it was about the movement of our times, you know, uh, peer pressure, <laughs> you know, if you want to call it that, yeah. you know, trying to, trying to be hip, trying to relate, you know. So, uh, okay. you know, it, it, was, it was cool to, to, to have your little bag of trail mix. You know, That's so cool. and snacking on yeah, snacking on your trail mix, you know, uh, on the campus rather than you know grabbing a hot dog or a hamburger. So, 
you, again, you know, being being that being in that educational setting with that young, fresh, uh, you know, mind that's like a sponge. Just it was so it was all about you know intellectual, you know, uh, capacitation, mm-hmm. you know, being 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 wise, being hip, you know, and and stepping up to to uh, to, to to shoulder, you know, my responsibility of being taking ownership of my life, my body, and knowing quite clearly that, uh, especially in the neighborhood that I was living in, in the inner city, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, the apples that I found in my neighborhood was not the same apples that I found out in the suburbs, you right, know, where right. I was going to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so fusing that together, you know, so I wasn't sick, I wasn't, you know, again, you know, seeking a guru or anything like that. Wasn't trying to save no animals. Mm-hmm. You know, what I, I yeah, well, absolutely, I was try, I was saving the animal that I live in. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 saving exactly. this, this this animal, this beast, this body, in which I, I dwell in. You know, and making sure that you know uh, it served me well. You know, and it, it it was able to, you know, support me through the battle. So. You know, it was all about the revolution. And again, you know, it still is. Absolutely, absolutely. And do you feel like, you know, listening to you and just going back to you saying how it was cool and it was hip to, you know, have a bag of nuts or, you know, and it wasn't cool to um, be eating a hot dog. Do you feel like that's kind of happening again in this day and age? Because, you know, the, the plant-based, you know, quote-unquote veganism movement is is kind of becoming really um, popular <coughs> in this day and age. And um, it is cool to, you know, to, to, uh, to walk around and eat your fruits and to, to have a good hearty salad and stuff like that. And it's now becoming uncool to go and, you know, grab a burger or a hot, or a hot dog. So it, it feels like, you know, everything comes back around. And uh, do you feel like that's happening now? Well, you know, actually... <laughs> No, my take is no. It, it's not coming back around. Right. What you what you're seeing is the fruits of the seeds that we planted in the '60s. Mm. You know, it has just gone to to higher heights. You know, as as the age of information as makes makes information more accessible now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it wasn't for being on the college campus for me, I would have not have gotten the information, the consciousness that, hey, there's this lifestyle, there is this whole thing about vegetarianism, you know, okay. back then. So uh, so what you're seeing today, again, you know, it's the fruit of the seeds that we're planted, but it's gone on a higher level. When I got into, well, it was 1970 when I became a full-fledged vegetarian, and I, and I still hug with the word vegetarian. I, I'm not a vegan. I haven't bought in to the vegan concept. Well, ve- veganism, veganism or vegan is a word that was coined, I believe, in 1942 by an Englishman. And that word was used to differentiate vegetarians, <clears throat> or today even now they're using the word plant-based. I mean, but, you know, it's still a vegetarian we're talking about. It's still vegetarianism. Mm-hmm. But to differentiate between a vegetarian who was strictly into it based on, on, on health, uh, fitness, 
longevity, consciousness, and XYZ, as opposed to those who were into it based on the animal rights movement. Veganism is about animal rights movement. It is not about human rights movement. Human rights movement is vegetarianism. So I, I do not accept the whole concept of a lacto-ovo-vegetarian. <laughs> what the heck is a lacto-ovo-vegetarian? Either you're a vegetarian or you're not. Either you're pregnant or you're not. There's no almost pregnant. There's no almost vegetarian, lacto-ovo-vegetarian. So if, if, if you were to buy into that and you accept that whole lacto-ovo-vegetarian, so what about the, 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 the fish vegetarian? What about the chicken vegetarian? What about the steak vegetarian? What about the pork vegetarian? Mm -hmm. So it kind of left the door open. I personally believe that that word vegan should have been ascribed to people who are on the other side of the fence. Not people, because vegetarian means one who eats food that vegetates. Right. Eggs do not vegetate. Right. Cheese don't vegetate. It's not doesn't come from a vegetable source. So maybe they should have called those other people vegans or whatever, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. not us. Yeah. You know. So 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 I am a vegetarian. The word vegetarian is a word that I that I hug and cling to very dearly. Yeah. Uh, and I I make sure that you know. I myself don't refer or identify myself as a vegan. Right. Again, that word vegan was coined in 1942 to differentiate between uh, a vegetarian who was about animal rights. So a, a vegan, a true vegan to the word based on how it has been defined is someone who does not partake of the eating of animal-based food because of the inhumane conditions and so forth and so on that these animals went through uh, during their life. Mm -hmm. So a vegan not only uh, ascribes to it based on you know, the dietary principle, but it's about animal rights. So which includes not also using any clothing, any apparels that is made from animal-based products, whether it's leather or mink, fur or wool or whatever it may be, yeah. you know. So, uh, and also, you know, a vegan does not partake of any, uh, anything that has been used, that animals were used in, their, in its testing. You know, yeah. so say like uh, even say a, a vaccine, you know, that they experimented with animals to develop this vaccine. A vegan would not take vaccines based on that. Yeah. A, uh, a vegan would not use soap that has pork fat in it, which is most of the white soaps like Ivory and Dove and all of those. They all have pork fat in them. Right. And those that do not have pork fat, they have chicken fat in it, wow. <laughs> you know, or some kind of animal fat. You know, th th there's this whole collection of 
the grease from restaurants that the soap industry collects and they take that to make soap. So sure, a vegan would make sure that not just only your soap, but all of your body products, body care products, does not include anything that comes from an animal. Uh, You know, the average makeup that most, uh, you know, or skincare products Mm -hmm. that is out there, you know, may have as as one of the ingredients in it something like uh, urea. Urea. Urea is is urine. Wow. And more than likely, it's from an animal. So, you know, yeah, you're putting on a nice facial something to tighten your skin, but that facial something was made with animal pee, (laughs) you know. Wow, I didn't, I didn't or, know none of that. Or you might be wearing using a condom that's wear, made with animal, you know, uh, you know, products derived from animals. Yeah, yeah. You know, you might be eating Jello, it has gelatin in it. You might be taking a, a great herbal laxative or any kind of herb that comes in a gelatin capsule. Mm-hmm. You're still, you're not a vegan. <laughs> you know, you're wearing leather shoes. You have a leather bag, a leather coat a leather belt, you're not a vegan. So, but many people today, they use the term very loosely just because they so-called only eat plant-based. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a vegan. <laughs> and then you, 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 you know, you got your car with the leather seats sitting there, you're sitting on, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. that leather yeah. furniture in your house. I mean, it's on and on and on. So for me, you know, uh, I am a vegetarian. I'm not going to let them, you know, keep corrupting and, and, and diminishing the value of that word. The same like what they have done with natural, <laughs> you know. Right, right. You know, and many other words, you know, even organic today. <laughs> What's organic? What, what is labeled organic is not necessarily organic. Right. You know, even the word raw, <laughs> you know coconut oil, raw, extra virgin, cold press, coconut oil. There's no such thing if you're buying it off of a, a, a grocery shelf in a natural food store and it's been sitting on that shelf for more than a day because raw coconut oil would go rancid in a day. So, right, so it's cold pressed, but they never told you that the machine that they use to grind the coconut, the, the, the friction from the machine heated up the machine. The machine got so hot that it actually cooked the coconut. So they can tell you it's raw, it's organic, it's cold pressed, but they don't have to tell you that it got cooked in the process of being ground because that's not considered technically cooking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it has gone beyond a certain temperature so the enzymes have been destroyed so that coconut oil will not go rancid. So there's many other layers to that whole thing. So this is what they have been doing. You know, the same thing like they have done with the word meat. The original meaning of the word meat is, is not reserved for just animal flesh. Right. You know, the, the meat of, of the mango, the meat yeah. of the apple. The meat of the coconut. The nut meat. Yeah. Coconut meat. So yes, I do eat meat. <laughs> so this this is so this is where, you know, when you approach it 
from a revolutionary perspective and also looking at linguistics and how they use words, you know, to trick your knowledge or what we used to call in the 60s trichonology. It goes on today, but they call it today, they call it marketing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's still trichonology. <laughs> wow. Absolutely. That's crazy. Um, so, you, you know, when you, did you, like, how would you, like, did you dive straight in to becoming vegetarian or was it a, was it a gradual process? <laughs> Well, it, it, it was basically based on how I was receiving the information. Right. So I embarked in the pro on the process in 1968. And I, this is our, but the first thing I did actually, before I even did anything about changing my diet, the first thing I did, I, I fasted. Right. Because I, 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 I found out where they were buying these nuts and seeds and dried fruits to put in the little bag to make the trail mix. And I was like, well, I want to make my own trail mix. Mm -hmm. So I found out that they were buying these ingredients in health food stores. <laughs> so I went and found a health food store to go buy my sunflower seeds and the different things to make my own custom trail mix. And wow, books. <laughs> so I started browsing through books in the health food store strictly out of curiosity yeah and a book that really grabbed my attention was one by paul bragg called scientific fasting so okay. in coming through this book like what is fasting what, what what's this all scientific about fasting i used to hear, hear about fasting with grandma you know church and easter and you know lent and all of this stuff but uh <laughs> So, so I was just curious about that to see, you know, where grandma got this thing from. What was it all about? Right. So I bought that book because it was, it really grabbed my, my, my curiosity. Said, hey, if this stuff is, is, is what people are talking about and this thing about fasting, about cleaning out the system and flushing out, damn, I need to clean out if I'm going to be changing up anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I was eating my, my hot dogs, you know, my hamburgers and all these things and started fasting. <laughs> and, you know, fasting once a week. But back then it was distilled water. But now today, you know, is the day of coconut water. You know, the Western culture discovered coconut water. <laughs> so we moved from distilled water fasting to coconut water fasting today. So, uh... That first fast that I did, doing the once a week fast, 36 hours on distilled water, it floored me. You know, uh, I started like Friday night at 8 o'clock, intent yeah. on breaking it Sunday morning, 8 a.m. And Friday night after, uh, Saturday night, after drinking a whole gallon of distilled water all day, you know, I'm getting up in the middle of the night to go urinate. Yeah. And lo and behold, you know, I felt dizzy, nauseous, and I fell out. I fainted. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, woke up in the morning right there and like, damn, what happened? So, you know, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't bargain for this. So I said, well, let me finish reading the book because there was a part that said, you know, <laughs> this is what you got to do. This is how you got to prepare yourself. And this is what happens during the, the process and how to break it and so forth. 
oh man, I understood clearly what happened. You know, I, I stirred up some toxins. Mm-hmm. We're drinking all that water all day. And, you know, it's in the bloodstream. And getting up, it's like shaking up, you know, this bottle, <laughs> you know, where the toxins are in the stream. They separated and shaking it up, you know, they come back into reality, basically, and uh, short circuit the oxygen on my brain and I fainted you know, just fell out. So this really prompted me to get really more curious about this whole thing and why that happened and so forth. So I ended up just buying books, every book I could find on vegetarianism, you know. So it took me two years to what you may call a transition period because this is when the knowledge was coming in. So I went through the the phase of, you know, uh, uh, raw dairy, raw milk, you know, raw cheese, rennetless cheese and things like that, goat milks and those things. So that took me about really about two years as I scratched and clawed trying to find out more information. And fortunately, back then during those times, the whole imitation vegetarian food industry wasn't developed. So it wasn't about trying to substitute for meat and trying to have TVP, texturized vegetable protein and gluten and all of those things in those days for me. So then, you know, the next step was really just taking hold of my kitchen. So I had moved out of my parents' house and got my own place and finally got a chance to decide what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to cook, not just what mama had in the house. And uh, so I just started eliminating you know, because this, this guy, Paul Braggs, he had a whole series of books. I think I bought his old library. Right, right. And there was one about what to eat and what not to eat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, do's and don'ts. So, you know, the first thing, you know, you eliminate all the processed meats, the bologna, the salami, the hot dog, you know, all the stuff that's been ground up and slewed up together, you know, the pork and then the bread meat and all this. So I went through all of that process within a, a two-year period. So by 1970, I'm a full-blooded vegetarian, right. you know, not consuming any animal products whatsoever. And that went on for, for a good six years because, you know, I'm dealing with my traditional stuff, you know, the rice and the beans and the plantains and all of these things in the traditional West Indian Caribbean cuisine and also growing up in a, in a Latin culture in Panama, you know, the whole Latin cuisine as well. And also I, I grew up, uh, I was born on the canal zone of Panama, which was a U.S. territory. Right. So I was exposed to some, you know, basic American cuisine in my early years. But when I moved to New York at the age of 17 and went into high school, that's when I got introduced to the sad diet, full head on, the standard American diet. Right, right, right. You know, characters like Sloppy Joe, you know, hamburgers, because we never had hamburgers in my days, you know, hot dogs. And because we ever, all the foods we ate was homemade, right. you know, and everything cooked from scratch in grandma's kitchen. Yeah. You know, and all fresh. So... So getting into this processed diet, eating in the cafeteria in in school, you know, uh, by 19, 
72 when I graduated from, from uh, when I left my junior college or community college, you know, uh, the consciousness got really much, much deeper because here was now the whole uh, heavy influence of the uh, hippie movement and also the black power movement. You know, I read a book by an author at the name, at the time his name was Don L. Lee, but he's more uh, better known as Haki Madabuchi. And the name of that book, and I see it, it's even today, you can still even find it on Amazon. The name of the book was From Plan to Planet. Yeah. That if, you know, black people, people of African descent, you know, in the 60s, based on the black power movement, if we're going to go anywhere, if we're going to liberate ourselves, then we need to take these principles in mind and, and get from the planning stage and take it to the planetary stage. And one whole chapter in that book was about diet as right. it relates specifically to African people. Absolutely. And one, of, and one of the big things that he pointed out was all white foods are mutants, mm -hmm. whether it's white flour, white sugar, white salt, you name it. <laughs> white rice, they're all mutant substance come in colors. So you want to eat foods with rich, deep colors. Absolutely. So of yeah. course, so then I started moving into the whole wheat away from, you know, the 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 the, the white flour, moving into the brown rice, you know, and also through the hippie influence demanding now organically grown, chemical free and these types of things. Right. Yeah. In my neighborhood where I, where I was living in Bedford-Stuyvesant, or Bed-Stuy, in Brooklyn, we had an independent African school, black school. And this school had a co-op attached to it. And the co-op was only about, as you would say today, plant-based foods. Mm -hmm. And in this co-op, working in this co-op, getting exposed to this in my neighborhood, and taking a class at the co-op, Vegetarian 101, <laughs> you know, so we're talking 1974. So the consciousness is getting stronger, deeper, clearer, you know, and, and be going to vegetarian restaurants in my neighborhood. And seeing, you know, the whole energy of the soulfulness yeah. of African vegetarianism, black vegetarianism. You know, the southern soul food diet delivered vegetarian style, wow. you know, without the ham hocks and the chitlings and, you know, all of these other types of stuff. You know, uh, great cornbread, uh, sweet potato, you know, collard greens, but all vegetarian style. Which must have been you amazing. Know? Yeah, that must have been um, incredible. Oh, yes. And especially also being in Brooklyn, that melting pot of African culture, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. have the Caribbean influence, you know, the yeah. Rastafarian, you know, Ital restaurants, you know, <laughs> you know, stuff, you know, uh, you know, rundown, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. In, in, in coconut milk, you know, Ital pat patties, patties made with ackee and lentils yes. rather than chicken and fish and yes. ground beef and all of these things. You know, and then, of course, you know, being in that great, you know, megapolis of New York, then you have all these ethnic cuisines as well. You know, so you have the Middle Eastern cuisine. So you get you get tabbouleh, 
you know, you get uh, falafel. So, you know, hey, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, here's the, the, the hippie restaurants out there. So by 1975, I moved to California. Yeah. Went to school, uh, graduate school in Orange County near Los Angeles. So, hey, I mean, this is like big time now, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine, In terms yeah. of my consciousness, you know, organic farms, vegetarian restaurants. Amazing. You know, even like places like, like uh, you know, the Hare Krishna with the Govinda restaurants, you know, all vegetarian, meatless marathon. I remember there was a restaurant on Venice Beach in, in, in L.A., called Meatless Marathon, where you can get, like, unlimited vegetarian protein dishes, you know. And so, you know, so here came a whole nother wave of consciousness. So by 1976, it was all about raw food now. Right. It was all living food. Yeah, which, you is, know? Yeah, which is leading on to my, to my next question, and that was when did you decide, when did you decide to go into the, the living foods. And what, what, so again, what that, made that was, you go into that? Well, that was six years later after becoming a full-fledged vegetarian. But it wasn't that, that I was of this mindset that I'm transitioning to raw food for six years. Not at all. Right. It's just how the consciousness came to me. And, you know, the, all of the reading, you know, so I, I consumed pretty much every book I could find on raw food. People like Hilton Hotema, yes. you know, yes. uh, the Richters, the Richters, they had a restaurant, they had restaurants in L.A., vegetarian restaurants in L.A. in the 50s, you know, raw food vegetarian restaurants. So this whole thing about raw food today, even in my days, it was nothing new, right. you know, it's just a, 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 a up, updating, you know, of what was going on, you know, yeah. that. Because the seeds had been planted for years, you know, by then, I mean, it was at least 100 years. There's reference to raw foodism that goes back as far as 1850. (laughs) Oh, wow. So I I amassed a a, a tremendous library of over 12,000 volumes of books. So every book on vegetarianism, on raw food, everything I could find, I just bought it and consumed as much of it as I could consume. And getting into the whole thing of developing cuisine for myself, mm-hmm. for my family, for my children, and just all eclectic, all creative. You know, never went to any cooking school, any vegetarian schools or anything like that. I would buy cookbooks galore, whether it's Raw food, the basic raw food cookbooks from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. You know, uh, George and Doris Fathman, the uncooked book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these types of books. Been around. Been around. What we are hearing today with this whole raw food movement has actually become nothing but a raw food circus. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like the new Columbus. They discover raw food now. Right, <laughs> come, yeah. on. come on. Raw food has been around from time immemorial. Mm-hmm. 
Human beings have been on this planet for at least a million years based on recorded history. And it's only been probably no more than 300,000 years since the advent of fire. Wow. So we've been experimenting with eating cooked food for about 300,000 years. Prior to that, for 700,000 years, human beings never ate any cooked food. We had no fire to cook anything with. So don't bring any argument, any scientific or religious argument to me about, you know, whether we are raw foodists or not, whether we are vegetarian or not. <laughs> Absolutely. It's so true. It's so true. Like, when you put it like that, it just kind of puts every, everything into perspective. So, no, no, you're right. And what's the, like, what can you tell, you know, the listeners uh, about the benefits? Like, what are the, the great benefits of, of eating you know, living foods? Well, number one, for me, as I am a, a living example of someone who has been eating all living foods now. And how long have you been living? 42 I mean, years. Wow, that's a, that's a long time, my brother. And been eating all vegetarian foods for 48 years. Wow. <laughs> and I'm now 70 years of age. When I became 70 in July to renew my driver's license, I had to get a medical clean bill of health, you know, because, you know, 70 years old, they're yeah. not, these governments are not going to trust you on the highway with their <laughs> driver's license, yeah, yeah. you know, you're supposed to be senile or something, at least a nervous wreck going wrecking everybody on the road. Yeah, yeah. Alzheimer's or whatever you, you know, uh, <clears throat> glaucoma or something going on. So I had to go get a comprehensive medical examination, physical and mental. <laughs> and yeah, I posted it up on Facebook, I think it was sometime around the first week of August mm -hmm. when I got the results, where my doctor wrote back for me to give to the motor vehicle people to get my license renewed that this man, 70 years of age, is in perfect health. That's amazing. Blood analysis, urine analysis, all the stuff, all of my protein count, my D12, everything listed on there, this, that, that, X, Y, Z. It's posted on Facebook for those of you who want to go take a look. Again, around the first or second week of August 19, uh, 2017, I posted it. Mm -hmm. I'm in perfect health, mental and physical, no disease, wear no glasses, no pot belly, <laughs> <laughs> no medications, don't take vitamin supplements, don't have any issue with B12. Yes, I do have a B12 deficiency, like probably every pe person in the world. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a great um, uh, example. Um, especially when it comes to the whole B12 thing because, you know, especially and in this day and age, there's a lot of talk right now about where to get your B12 and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, that, what would you say about that whole B12 thing? Well, again, based on their examinations, their analysis, I am deficient in B12. Mm -hmm. So I asked the Harvard Medical School, you know, I posed the question to them, Harvard, why is it that I have a B12 deficiency, yet I don't exhibit 
any of the symptoms associated, any of the disease conditions associated with someone who have a B12 deficiency. Right. Why is it that I'm not a mental uh, basket case? Because <laughs> someone at my age of a, with a B12 deficiency, they got issues mentally. Instability, insecurity, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And why is it that I'm not a nervous wreck? Why is it that my nerves are steady? My nerves are strong and I have a B12 deficiency. And you say my nerves are supposed to be shot because I have a B12 deficiency. Explain this to me, Harvard. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So my understanding, first of all, based on observation, we know that the way they decide how much B12 you need is by measuring the excrement, the waste that come out of human beings. And because human beings, most of these people, the waste that they measured on are people who are carnivores. They're meat eaters. Right. And they eat a lot of animal flesh that is loaded with B12. So in their excrement, their excrement show 95% of the B12 that they consume from eating animal food, animal carcass, <laughs> 95% of the B12 is excreted in their waste. Right. So the trichonology industry or the, 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 the vitamin cartel say you need to replenish 95%, this much value of B12. You should be taking this much B12. Okay. I didn't so know obviously, what is, what, when you read that, when you look at that observation, you understand logically that, hey, I was, you're only synthesizing 5%. You're only utilizing 5% of all of that B12 that you are eating, you're consuming in animal protein. So, wow. gee, I, 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 I hate to think of what would happen if that animal protein did not have B12, whether it would have came through your system. It probably would have choked you to death. <laughs> so all that B12 was probably necessary for that animal flesh to transit through your body. If 95% of it is coming out in your waste, and if you look at the animal that produced the greatest amount of B12, the cow, the Mm -hmm. cow, they're out on the pasture all day long, at least daylight day long, and they're eating nothing but grass. They're not eating any B12. They are synthesizing and producing B12 in their intestinal tract. They're not only grazing in the grass, but they're also in the sunshine <laughs> from sun, sunrise to sunset. Full life of sunshine and eating grass mm-hmm. and synthesizing. It's a photosynthesis process that they use <coughs> to produce this B12. So humans, why are you hiding from the sun? Why are you living in the icebox? Why are you in, in, in the UK? Why are you in Europe? Why are you all the way up there? There, I'm up in Alaska, Absolutely. away from the sun. Wow. The sun is food. And this is why we're going to get to the point of why I named my cuisine Sun-Fired Foods. Yes, please. And you know what? That's great because that kind of leads to my next question. Um, so, yeah, please let the listeners know more about you know, your Sunfire Institute and why you decided to name 
um, uh, uh, to name it, Sunfire Foods? Well, first let's 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 uh, zip up the B twelve issue. Yeah. Because you know, for forty eight years. Sorry, I thought that was zipped up, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, for forty eight years of consuming nothing but plant based food that has very little, if any, B twelve in it, and having a B twelve deficiency and not taking any B twelve supplements. And not buying into the raw food circus of buying of them selling you B12 patches, because mm-hmm. a lot of these folks in this raw food circus they're not, nothing but merchants and raw food sales. So they use it to sell you a whole bunch of whole bunch of everything you don't need, other than what you really need, which is fresh food. Yes. So if you're eating fresh food, grass, greens. Green leafy vegetable, you know, unfortunately, the raw food circles can't sell you fresh grass, (laughs) fresh greens, Mm -hmm. because it's perishable. They can't put it in the mail and send it to you like they sell the powdered superfoods, super green mix, powdered. You need fresh grass. You need to be able to harvest that fresh grass, just like the cow with the morning dew on it. And eat it in the sunshine to produce B12 yourself. And you can only produce B12 or adequate amount of B12 in your small intestine, in your intestinal tract, if you have no unfriendly bacteria in there. Yeah. So cook food vegetarians that eat all this great big cook-up, starches and protein, all that big cook gook that produce a whole bunch of unfriendly bacteria in their system, they cannot synthesize and produce B12. So they're always the quick, warm target for the B12 industry. Right, right, right. The B12 peddling doctor. You are vegan. Woo! Plant-based, huh? Vegetarian. Ah, you got a B12 deficiency. Oh, you need to buy this and you need to buy that. You should be eating meat anyway. Because plant food don't have any B12. That's why you, you're like this. And that's why you're sick. Mm. But they can't pull that on me. Again, they signed me off. Perfect health. And this is the word the doctor used on my medical report. This man is in perfect health and have no contagious disease at all. That's incredible. That's absolutely so amazing. So my body is able to synthesize and produce the equivalent of the 5% B12 that is derived from eating animal flesh that your body utilizes, because my gut does not have any unfriendly bacteria because I've been consuming all living fresh plant food. So it's the it's the environment, you know, it is it, the constitution of your system that dictates your state of disease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I am a B12 deficient individual, but I don't show the symptoms because I produce just enough B12 to stay healthy and to be in perfect health. That's just, that's... So you got you to really wake up. <laughs> wake up. <laughs> Absolutely. That's just, you know, that's great info because, again, so much, you know, so much young people out there are so... Um, you know, wary about 
how they're getting their B12 because it, there's, there's, there's so much different information about B12 and I think you've basically hit the nail on the head to say um, about the whole B12 theory and the whole B12 myth. And it makes so much sense to, to, uh, to someone like myself anyway, so hopefully all that is listening, um, it makes sense to them as well. Yeah, so uh, sun-fired. <laughs> yes. Sun-fired sun is a fired. word that I coined in 19... Uh, it was 1979. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started in Harlem, New York. I had just returned from living in Tanzania uh, at the foot of the Kilimanjaro Mountain. Yes. Uh, up in Arusha with, with the Maasai. And you know, the Maasai, they are serious carnivores. And beyond carnivores, they, they, they drink cow's blood because they're warriors. They want to get that warrior spirit in them. Wow. So to live amongst these people and not drink the cow blood, not to eat the, 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 the goats and the other stuff, the meats and these things, but being all vegetarian and eating all raw food. This, we're talking 1978 was the year that I lived up there with them and eating all raw food. Uh, basically, I was a fruitarian. This is when I migrated from California in 1978. Uh, they, my, pretty much my first two years of eating all living foods was pretty much that of a fruitarian. So I, I, so this whole fruitarian thing today, again, there's nothing new under the sun, right. you know. And then some people would even look at me today and say, oh, you, you just was ahead of your time. <laughs> You're ahead of your time. I said, no, I'm not ahead of my time. I'm, I'm on time. I've been on time, still on time. <laughs> you are late. <laughs> That's brilliant. You are late, yeah. <laughs> okay? So you fruitarians today, you are late. Fruitarianism has been around, yeah. time immemorial. <laughs> the natural, original, and best diet for human consumption is that of fruits. Right. And, you know, if you pull out your scripture and you read carefully in Genesis where it says, Behold, I've given unto you seed-yielding foods, and unto you they shall be your meat, M-E-A-T. The seed yielding foods, which means that is basically the law of food that you need to deal with. Of all the laws you find in that book, that's really the, mo- the most critical, most relevant one, and that's the one you overlook. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's um, it's great because, you know, there's so much controversy when it comes to fruits and, you know, you can't eat that much fruit because of sugar, blah, 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 blah which I don't believe anyway because most of my diet is fruit. Um, so hearing it from someone like yourself is um, it's great. It's great to know. Yeah, well, you know, you have, a, you, you have an issue with fruits. If you're, you know, fruits are simple carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. You know what carbohydrates are. It's sugar. Fruits are simple sugar, yes. simple carbohydrates. On the other side, you have what is known as complex carbohydrates, Carbohydrates are starches. They're food that needs to be converted into sugar for the body to be able to utilize them. Yeah. So the fruits that are simple sugar, they are high in moisture. The fruits that are complex carbohydrate that needs to be converted into sugar, they are dense, no moisture. We're talking root. 
the deep roots, yams and potatoes, mm -hmm. cassava, yuca, tropical yams, the yellow yam from Jamaica, the Trelawney yam, the, the white yam from Africa, and the one they even call the Negro yam because it makes your Negro. <laughs> these are all starches these are all complex carbohydrates and you know anything that's complex is complicated mm -hmm, exactly <laughs> and besides those deep roots your grains your grains the larger the grain the more starches in it this is a complex carbohydrate these foods have to be turned into sugar rice wheat oats barley Millet, rye, quinoa, mm -hmm. grains. Human beings are not grain eaters by nature. We're not granivores. We're not rice eaters by nature. It's only been 10,000 years since we first started eating grains. Grains are not food. They're seeds for cereal grass. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wheat is a seed for a grass that is known as wheatgrass. And we're gonna get look at that a little later too. Well, I hope your audience got time and patience because I got, I got a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, so do I, I, you know, I really do. I, I think, um, I hope they do, because I, I, I definitely do. You know, this is, this is knowledge that's not, you know, not easy to get. So, you know, they should, they should have the patience to, to really listen and understand you know the, the the knowledge that's coming from uh, from you so it's great to hear it's great to hear yeah uh, so grains we are not rice eaters by nature this yeah. whole thing about eating rice it's only been 10,000 years you've been experimenting with eating rice exactly rice is nothing but a straw it's a seed for a straw for a, a bamboo type of plant and it has no moisture so you got to boil it to death to pump it up with water and this is the problem with all of your complex carbohydrates, all of your starches. They have very little moisture. Of course, when you look at the root vegetables, those that grow closer to the surface of the earth have a higher content of moisture. So the higher the moisture, the less starch. So your carrots, your beets, the turnips, the parsnips, the onion and the garlic, very little starch. Even the onion and the garlic have no starch. They're not even classified as root vegetables. They're not classified under starches, under complex carbohydrates. They're classified based on the green leaves that project above the earth mm -hmm. from them. So they're vegetables. And your carrot, your beets, your parsnips, your turnips, these high moisture root vegetables and things like the jicama, an exotic tropical vegetable that produces, is produced mostly in Mexico. You juice a, a jicama, it's pure water, and it's sweet, tastes like sugar. You juice a carrot, it's sweet, tastes like sugar. You juice a beet, it is sweet, tastes like sugar. They even make sugar out of beets. So there's a whole process, there's a whole scientific process. And that's why for me, this is why we call the cuisine sun-fired foods. Right. Because it's not just about the art, making great, exciting, palatable, <clears throat> taste-arresting, taste-but-arresting food, but 
it has to meet a certain nutritional, scientific qualification as well to be sun-fired foods. And so the, the science of sun-fired foods, when we're looking at what we're talking about, the, the, the difference between a simple and a complex carbohydrate, a sugar and a starch, and starch has to be converted into sugar. Your potatoes, your rice, your, 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 your sweet potatoes, your yams have to be converted into sugar for the body to be able to utilize it. It has to become a fruit-like <laughs> sugar, yeah, a grape-like sugar. Because it needs grape. That, yeah, because it needs that energy to run, doesn't it? Well, that's what it's all about. We run on sugar. Yeah. The human body runs on sugar. Actually, every food we consume is broken down into a simple sugar. Mm -hmm. Even your protein. Your protein is broken down into amino acids. Amino acids are sugars. So mm -hmm. everything has to be broken down. We run on sugar. So don't tell me as a fruitarian I'm eating too much sugar. Yeah. My fuel, my fuel is too premium. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Please, we need to examine that. And we need to understand what is it we're talking about. We got to look at it, the science of these things. And besides the roots and the grains, also your beans or the group that is called legumes, the leguminous vegetables. Yes. All of your beans are starch as well. There's a couple of exceptions, but most of your beans are 70% starch, complex carbohydrates, and 30% protein. And even that hook right there is a challenge because the body cannot digest effectively starch and protein in the same mouthful. <laughs> right. So that's why anytime you eat beans... <clears throat> you get gassed up because there's some fermentation that's going to take place yeah, yeah. between the carbohydrate and the protein that is found in the beans. So there's a certain scientific process that it needs to undergo in order to break that bond. Mm -hmm. And cooking really makes the bond more challenging for the human body to process because cooking destroys the digestive enzymes that breaks down the starches, and the one that breaks down the uh, protein or the fat. So your four groups of food, one is fat-based. These are the ones that we refer to as protein. Yeah. One is sugar-based. These are the ones we refer to as simple carbohydrates or better known as fruits. Another, the third group is starch-based. These are your complex carbohydrates, your root vegetables, your grains, and your beans. Of course, within those three subgrouping, some have more starch than others. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with the fruit world. Some have more sugar than others. Yeah, exactly. There are quite a few fruits that contain zero sugar. Zero sugar. Mm -hmm. But we're talking based on the botanical 
classification of fruits. When you study botany, botany says that all foods that comes to you with seed or seeds are fruits. Yes, exactly. And this is where the reference in your scripture is talking about. Behold, for I've given unto you the seed yielding foods. That means your food should come with seeds in it. Behold, <laughs> it shall be your meat. And again, that's the original meaning of food is meat. Absolutely. It shall be your food. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, like, um, you know, going back into what you were saying earlier on um, about, you know, certain uh, root vegetables, which was the, the, the carrots, was it? The carrots and the, the beetroots and stuff. Ones with a high moisture. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you feel about those um, vegetables? Because, you know, there's a lot of information out there that, that young people especially are starting to discover about certain vegetables and fruits that maybe don't have seeds that are hybrid fruits yes. and vegetables. So, you know, someone coming from someone like yourself, like what, what would you, you know, suggest or... You know, what would be your take on, on those type of fruits and vegetables? Well, first of all, I want to give thanks to the great work that was done by one of our wonderful ancestors, our contemporary, uh, my great brother, Dr. Sabi. Yes. Dr. Sabi really bring, brings it home about the hybrid foods, mm -hmm. uh, those foods that are seedless. Uh, but he particularly targeted in on the carrot. Yes. <laughs> But there's no difference between a carrot, a potato, a sweet potato, a yam, a beet, a turnip, a parsnip, an onion, any root vegetable or any vegetable that do not contain seed. So he highlighted the carrot. So many of us use the carrot as our pet peeve. Mm -hmm. But basically, it's about starch. It's about complex carbohydrates. It's about certain vegetables that all been manipulated by human ingenuity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so the whole thing about grafting and cross-breathing and, you know, uh, just hybridizing mm -hmm. as opposed to heirloom. Heirloom or original natural occurring seeds or foods. Heirloom. So the carrot is a hybrid. Mm -hmm. The beet is a hybrid. But if you really get deep and closer down into analyzing all the foods that are available to us today, damn near 95% of all of them are hybrid. Yeah, which is true. Celery is hybrid. Lettuce is hybrid. Spinach is hybrid. Beans are hybrid. All of them are hybrid. All your grains are hybrid. Wow. Please. Even many of the fruits <laughs> are hybrid. They're very few select. You see, they even they try they sell you what they call heirloom tomatoes. They put the big price tag on it. Because it's heirloom. What else are they putting heirloom on? There's nothing else in your grocery store or your head food store that's got the heirloom name on it. Because if they're gonna if it's heirloom, they're gonna charge you big money like they charge you for those heirloom tomatoes. Mm -hmm. 
So pretty much 95, 99% of all the food we consume today are hybrid. So if you're going to beat up on the carrot and eat corn tortillas, <laughs> please check yourself. <laughs> check Absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Potato is one of the most hybridized foods. You see the, 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 the Incas, the Indians up in Peru, they got thousands of varieties of, of potatoes. Apples are one of the most hybridized food. There's over 5,000 variety of apples. And unfortunately, the ones that you'll get today, the commercial ones, are the most hybridized ones <laughs> on the market. So you're chumping down on all those apples and throwing the carrot away because it's hybrid. And all those apples you're eating are all hybrid. The red delicious, the golden delicious, the gala, the Fuji. <laughs> wow. They have been manipulated to withstand. You know, after the fall, all apples are picked before the fall ends. Before the, 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 they freeze on the tree because they grow in cool, temperate en environments. So in New York State, big, the Big Apple, known for its big apple production, every single apple is picked off that tree by November, off those apple trees. And they all put in cold storage. So an apple that you're eating in July in February, they were picked in the fall because they would have been frozen. So they're picked at a certain stage of immaturity and they're locked in a cold storage and that cold storage door is labeled, open this one up July 21st, open this one up July 22nd, open this one up July 23rd. Check wow. yourself. If wow. you want to get infinite and you want to get into the nitty-gritty, as we used to say back then, <laughs> you got to check every single thing. Absolutely. And all these seedless watermelons. Many of you in the icebox don't get seedless watermelons anymore. <laughs> I mean, get watermelons with seeds anymore. And especially you ladies, you need to be careful. You eat seedless foods, you're going to be barren. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, and even our men as well, you're going to be impotent. <laughs> so, so in saying all that, um, <laughs> would you still say it's, it's good to, to consume those foods? Um, no, I'm not saying it is. Okay. But what choice do you have? What choice do you have? Exactly, yeah. What choice do you have? Are you, are you in your tropical paradise? Mm. Or do you have your, your own farm? Are you growing your stuff? Are you getting heirloom seeds? Heirloom. Go online. Heirloom seed companies. Are you growing your own? Or do you know exactly what are you really eating? But... Most of you are hostages living in big urban environments. <laughs> You're hostage to what can last in the supermarket for the next week. <laughs> hmm. So it's mega, mega agribusiness 
foods that you're consuming, even in your most profound, expensive, natural food supermarket. <laughs> the, the, the hybrid, now the GMO and all of those things, you're buying those things up as natural foods. <laughs> but it's better Irradiate than... seeds and all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah. But it, it, it's better than... <laughs> It's better to eat that than to eat nothing at all, obviously. <laughs> and it's better to eat that than to be eating, as you said, tortilla chips or, or, or whatnot. Well, the, the thing is, then this is why we got to, you know, well, look, the Sun Fired Culinary Institute. We're based in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. Land of food paradise. Costa Rica has five volcanoes. So practically every soil in Costa Rica is rich. Wow. So I'm living in an area where we have the institute in an area that is called Diamond Valley. <laughs> of course, lots of diamonds were clear, cleared out of here. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it is one of the most progressive agricultural, natural, organic, biodynamic agricultural growing regions area of the entire world and it even boasts one of the, the, the what they call a blue zone there are five blue zones in the world look up blue zone blue zones are places where the entire population in a blue zone on a whole live to be more than a hundred years of age but besides that not to be confused with the centenarian valleys and Ecuador, Vilcabamba, and Shangri-La Valley in the Himalayas. A blue zone is a place where you live in peace, harmony with the universe. You not only live to be a centenarian, but you live a very healthy, productive life in a blue zone. So, you know... A lot of these stuff are available online, so I don't have to go deep into this yeah. type of information. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, living here, having my farm makes a big difference. So I know what I'm consuming. I know what I'm eating. When I have organic markets to choose from, farmer's market, seven days a week you can find healthy, strong, vibrant, organic market somewhere in Costa Rica and especially in my neighborhood, abundance. Permaculture farms. This is permaculture farming mecca of the world. Intentional communities, fruitarian communities. The Costa Rica Fruit Fest is coming up. Look it up. I'm going to be doing major pro presentations there. Sounds we have amazing. the big Envision Festival coming up in a couple of weeks. 7,000 people come to camp and party on a beach, eating natural foods, organic, yoga, and all the other stuff. Look it up. But this is not to discredit other neighborhoods, other environments, and not to speak, you know, uh, in any low way about the efforts that is being made in all these other places, you know, because there's tremendous progress that are being made, leaps and bounds. As you say, you said, you know, there's a serious consciousness going on you know, on college campuses today, around vegetarianism, yeah. around plant-based cuisine, around veganism, 
and especially around raw food and fruitarianism, big time, serious going on. But not only on the college campuses, but around the entire world. The demand, the consciousness for this life is unbounded and it is not a fad. I've been watching it for the past 50 years and what you're seeing, definitely what you're experiencing, what you're living is the fruits of the labor, of the seeds that have been planted over the past 50 years and you are taking it to another level. So it gives me tremendous joy and pleasure to see, you know, what's going on. When I started, when I became all raw, all sun-fired foods 42 years ago, I did not meet more than 10 people that I could touch physically at that time that were consuming 100% plant-based, vegetarian, raw food. Yeah. And now today, throughout the world, every community I go to, everywhere, it, it is not sparing any village there is raw food eaters. There are raw foodists. There's a huge wave. There's a huge consciousness. There's a huge, uh, what we call, ascension to higher heights. You know, people are sick and tired of being sick. Exactly. So if it's not about trying to defend their health, protect their life, their, 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 their well-being, their wellness of their family, you know, protect the animals, protect the environment, it's all merging together. And it's like totally from the grassroots up, we are pushing the limits. We, 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 have, we have put a whipping on, uh, on, on the, the, the meat cartel, the cattle industry, that they, went, they, they ran for cover and got into the soybean industry and, and corrupted that one too. <laughs> so they're even trying to run out of that now too. Vegetarianism have pushed it. You see what happened in the U.S. You see what uh, Michelle Obama did for the U.S. Uh, DA and in terms of the, the food choices. They moved from, she moved them from the pyramid and took them to the My Plate concept. And the My Plate concept, I mean, this was radical. This was very revolutionary for this woman to do this. Mm -hmm. But she was responding from the pressure of the raw food of the conscious movement, of the vegetarian movement, of the fruitarian, because this is stuff that we were saying for over 40 years. And we've been hitting them in the pocket economically. And she stepped up, she saw it, put an organic garden in the White House. Can you imagine? Wow, exactly. Many schools in the U.S. today now got organic gardens in the school. Even the high school I went to in Brooklyn, New York, in the hood, got an organic garden today in the high school where we used to have the track and field. <laughs> they turned the track and field thing into an organic garden and put the track and field somewhere else. That's amazing. That's, that is, that's a step forward. That's what we like to hear as well. That's great. There are even schools in the U.S., junior high school in the U.S., that serve only vegetarian foods vegetarian foods. I remember, the, I think, the, the chancellor of the Board of Education of New York a few years ago, who was a vegetarian himself. 
instituted. And so there are many schools now, even in the U.S., that are strictly all plant-based, all vegetarian. So the movement is... It's growing. It's there. Uh, it's happening. And, and there's no reversing it. Exactly. There's no reversing it. The demand for my service is, is it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I can imagine. I can only imagine. And, but the fact that you gave your service today and that you're on this show is, um, again, thank you so much, man. This is just, this is, this is a gem for me. This is amazing. So I, I do appreciate your time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, the, so sun fired. Sun fired, <laughs> The word yes. sun fired. You know, back in the days, we used to hear about raw food. And I'm like, wait a minute, raw food? That ain't going to cut. There's nothing raw about this food. This food is cooked. You know, a, ba a, a banana is cooked. A tomato is cooked. Lettuce is cooked. Cucumber is cooked. It's been cooked by the sun. Exactly. The growing period is the cooking process. From the time the banana tree blossoms, from the time the cherry tree blossoms, till the time you have full, ripe, juicy cherries. That's been the entire cooking process. It takes a year to cook my bananas, a whole year to cook my plants in, a whole year. I mean, some things only six months, but it, it depends. Some things are ready in three months, you know, but it's cooked. I eat cooked food, so there's <laughs> nothing raw. I mean, I, to me, that's another curse word, to call my food raw, to insult your creator and say, the food is raw, the plantain is raw, I'm going to fix it, you did not do a good job, I'm going to steam it, bake it, boil it, jerk it, fry it, <laughs> please, respect. Amazing. Respect. Amazing. The point is, the son is the chef. I am not a chef. I'm an artist, maybe a food scientist. But the sun cooks for every single human being on this planet. It's only one chef. That is the sun. Beautiful. So the growing period is the cooking process. Without the sun, there's no food. There's no life. Also, back in the days, before, besides raw food, they used to say, living foods, which some people even still today, they talk about living foods. Yeah, there's some foods that are living. Sprouts are living. But the minute you break lettuce, it is now dead. You know, but living foods would also, the reason I did not ascribe to that terminology either, because I see them bouncing some live lobsters and live crabs at your table and call it living foods. Even, you know, some place where they sell clams, they call it raw bar. You remember that? <laughs> a raw bar. I, mean, I used to be like, oh, I'm looking for raw food. I look up in the, in, in, in the telephone directory. I'm going someplace like raw food. Shit, I end up at a clam bar. <laughs> <laughs> a clam bar, living foods. <laughs> You know, live shrimps, live crab, live fish and all this stuff being tortured at your table for your pleasure. So, I mean, no, nah, so I can't deal with living food, not my food. Okay. Then there's another terminology 
unfired foods. This is what uh, George and Doris Fathman called their cuisine. This is what people in the 40s, 50s used to call raw food, unfired foods. And I'm like, oh, no, that one ain't going to cut it either because there's nothing on <laughs> about this food. I need to, this is, this is positive. We need to see, put it in a positive light. Positive light, yeah, exactly, yeah. So being an innovator, as I am, being a creative person, growing up in my grandma's kitchen, growing up in, in, in a culture, in a way where you have to make do, where you have to create, where you got to invent not only food, but a whole way of subsist of existing in an un, un, unequal world. <laughs> you got to invent a life. <laughs> you got to invent reality. I said, I got to come up with a better word, a better terminology, and hence sun-fired foods. But all I did was I took unfired foods and put a positive spin on it. I added the S to unfired foods. Love it. It's great. And sun-fired foods. And the point about sun-fired foods is that the food is cooked by the sun in the growing period is the cooking process. Some people may think that, oh, he, he puts the pie crust together and put it out in the sun and let the sun cook it. That's what they, that's what people, most people concept of sun-fired foods. No, I don't put the food out in the sun to cook. The food been out in the sun for a year, three months, six months, cooking. The almonds been cooking. The lettuce been cooking. The cabbage been cooking. The, the, all that stuff been cooking. So what I do is I don't cook the sun out of the food. Mm -hmm. So sun-fired foods are food that we process and turn into art, edible art, <laughs> so that it could be associated with modern-day cuisine. So we come up with, yes, things that you can associate with a hamburger, things you can associate with a pizza, things you can associate with a, with, 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 with a, a, a meatball. <laughs> but we're not imitating, we're not faking, we're, we, we are not mocking. So when I come up with a corned beet, you may hear corned beef. <laughs> it's just the association. When I, when I come up even with the word sun-fired, many of you hear sun-fried, <laughs> the association. Yeah. So the food is cooked by the sun, sun-fired food. We don't cook the sun out oh, of the, the food. food yeah. So what we are doing with our art and science is to do a modern technological, scientific transference of solar energy to your body through the food. So when you're consuming food today, when you're processing food, when you're coming up with these great gourmet raw food cuisine, as I've been acclaimed for in the Oxford Encyclopedia, and they just not only use the word gourmet, but they also use the word ethical. So that's where the vegans feel comfortable with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ethical, gourmet, ethical, raw food cuisine. Before I got into the whole business, raw food was strictly 
in my time a, a food, a diet that only sick people ate because it was designed for, as a very pure, clean, healing cuisine. Mm -hmm. So people with terminal diseases, cancer, and very intense stuff would go to raw food centers. The natural hygiene society. There was a whole before what we know today as, as, as modern raw food. There was the natural hygiene movement. In the early century, the early 20th century, right through to the 60s, Dr. Herbert Shelton, Hilton Hotema, many proponents of the natural hygiene. And the natural hygiene system was about no salt, no chemicals, you know, no cooking. I went to a natural hygiene convention at the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami Beach back in my early days. I'm like, oh, raw food is, I'm going to go to these raw food conventions. So I go to a natural hygiene convention and I go sit around the, the, the dinner table with these folks to eat. You had a stick of carrot, a stick of celery, a leaf of lettuce, a whole tomato. This was their version of raw food, mm. pure simple, but it was about healing. Because their thing was that all disease is toxemia. Toxemia is waste, garbage, filth in the body. So that's where today we have derived this detox movement, taking out the toxemia out of the body. So a lot of this stuff I said is nothing new under the sun. Exactly. <laughs> it's just been repackaged, remarketed, rehashed with a modern tag, with modern hashtags, with buzzwords. <laughs> but it's the same old time teachings. Absolutely. Same old time teaching. Then you had Dr. Ann Wigmore, the Hippocrates Health Institute, the wheatgrass lady, healing cancer and all these devastating disease with raw food or what she termed living foods because it was all about sprouts. You know, the same Oxford Encyclopedia, the 2004 edition and the revised edition in 2012, they did an expose. This is the, look it up, the Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink. 2004 and 2012 edition did an expose on the history of vegetarianism and they went back unfortunately they didn't go far enough back Too to far, yeah. Imhotep and the sages of, of, of ancient Kemet yeah. what you know today is Egypt where they had the mystery schools and to get into the mystery school you had to fast 40 days and 40 nights you had to eat all raw foods and all of this stuff to get into this this is where Pythagoras and these folks the Greeks studied their nutrition mm -hmm. so this call this so-called uh, Hippocrates the father of medicine studied at the banks of the Nile, or studied from another Greek who went to the banks of the Nile and studied with the ancient ones to get this information. Right, right. There's Imhotep who came before, before Hippocrates. Imhotep is the first doctor to discover that the human, in the human body, there's a such thing as a circulation of the blood. 
Imhotep was not only a doctor, he was a visor. <laughs> a visor is an advisor to the emperor. <laughs> so you're talking about multitasking. A visor is not only a doctor, an uh, 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 engineer. Uh, 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 they got about 12 different titles and not the type of titles you get from your PhD institutions today. <laughs> the titles that gave them the will, the power, the strength, the wisdom to build ancient civilization, pyramids and all these things, even computers and airplanes back then yeah. that you are finally decoding and, and, and just drawing all these secrets that are sitting in the vaults of the Vatican all the libraries from ancient places that was raided and brought to Alexandria, <laughs> hmm. all the ancient wisdoms. And this is where a lot of what we're talking today about when we talk about sun-fired foods, the roots go far, far, far back. So in that expose on the history of vegetarianism, they started off with the Greeks and they went through all the different ages, got into, you know, the whole conflict era, era with, you know, what's his name? You know, the, uh, the, 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 got into the Quakers with the Quaker Holtz and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they got into to the uh, Kellogg, Harvey Kellogg, got into Ben Franklin and went through the whole history of vegetarianism, not just, I mean, but in the whole world, the U.S., Europe, you know, of course, they didn't touch on indigenous communities, <laughs> the history of, of the Incas <laughs> and the Olmecs and the Mayas and how they developed, you know, uh, vegetarianism culture as well, which is what many people are going down to Peru today and raiding, you know, their ancient wisdom uh, piles of knowledge, of information, of agricultural, you know, innovation, and bringing it up back north the same way the pirates used to come down to these places and steal the gold and the riches and take it up north and sell it for big money. The raw food pirates in the raw food circus going down and getting what they call the superfoods and bringing it up north and selling it for big money. It's amazing to see how history repeats itself in a different way. It's amazing. And um, again, I think like everything that you're sharing with us is just so, so amazing because, you know, obviously the base of it is, is, is what we consume, what we eat, you know, but at the same time, you're, you know, you're sharing the, the history of, um, of where it all began and where it all begins, you know? So it's, um, it's great. Yeah, I mean, food is the main ingredient. It makes us or breaks exactly. us. Exactly, there we go. Yeah. So in that same Oxford Encyclopedia, when they got up to the modern age, they talk about Dr. Ann Wigmore. Right. What an angel, this woman. They said the only, so in the modern age, they speak about the raw food movement. Mm -hmm. And they said the only contribution the raw food movement have made to humanity came through Dr. Anne Wigmore, the Sprout Lady, for introducing the world, introducing humanity 
to sprouts, especially wheatgrass. Right. And then in the next breath, they said, and another immigrant to the U.S., because Ann Wigmore was from Lithuania. Right. They said, and another immigrant to the U.S., Arisla Tam, is considered the father of ethical, gourmet, raw food cuisine for having developed sun-fired foods, which he started in Harlem, New York, in the ghetto, in 1979, this is when sun-fired foods got birthed. This is when we coined the word sun-fired. And it's, it's definitely, you know, uh, legendary. So to be in an, an encyclopedia and to be able to sit here today at the age of 70 and all the reference, everybody else that was mentioned in that encyclopedia are all deceased. Mm-hmm. So to be acknowledged and recognized as a living legend for the work that I have done, it's quite an amazing honor. So it's a pleasure to be able to be on your show, to share with your audience, to share with the new young generation, because the works that we have, the works that we continue building on in the 60s, the revolutionary work, it's going to take generations for us to set this thing straight Absolutely. and get us back to our roots, totally bring agree. us all back home. So, you know, generation present, it's great to have you in the house. <laughs> it's great to be able to share with you and help you avoid some of those crucial pitfalls that many of us fall into trying to be a faking vegetarian. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Nice. It's, it's um, it's wonderful. And you know, even your whole, the whole sun fired, thing. it is sun fired, right? It's not sun cooked. No, sun fired. Yeah. F I R E D. Okay, great. Because that's 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 inspired me to use sun cooked, because just the way that you've yes, you know, the way that you've done the sun fired, it's inspired me to use that that line sun exactly. cooked you know what i mean so i've kind of taken that exactly. from you and just kind of made it my own as well because again it just when i first heard you say that it just makes complete sense to me and um, the way that you've broken it down in this in this um, podcast um should obviously make sense to everybody else so thank you for inspiring me and i'm sure that you inspire a lot oh, of you, other you are young people welcome you're welcome yeah you know there's so much depth to all of this so we're going to, I would love to sit with you again because I would love to get in with the science. I'd love to get him a couple of recipes or, yes, you know, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say thank you so much again for, you know, just giving up your time um, and uh, being, you know, my guest on, on the show. Um, I really do appreciate it, brother. And uh, hopefully, you know, we can do this again. Yeah, man, you're welcome, man. I look forward, my brother. Yeah. No problem. Absolutely, man. So, you know, I really do uh, wish you the best and um, I hope to see you soon, bro. All right. Thanks, man. You take care. Now. Thank you, man. Take care. <laughs> yeah, peace. Peace. So I hope you enjoyed that podcast from the legendary Aris Latam. 
I absolutely love speaking with him and listening to his wisdom. I hope you took away some valuable knowledge that will inspire you all on your individual journeys. Now you can find Ad and keep up to date with Addis via his Facebook, which is Addis Latham, A-R-I-S-L-A-T-H-A-M. Check out his website, which is adissoul.com or sunfire.com. Follow his Instagram, which is adislife underscore A-R-I-S life underscore. And you can also follow my journey if you're not already on Instagram, which is at livingplantfoods, L-I-V-I-N-G-P-L-A-N-T-F-O-O-D-S. Thank you so much again. Let's all push this forward. Love, light and blessings to each and every one of you. Peace.